Hello, and welcome to this BGSM podcast on physical activity and long-term health conditions. I'm Shona Colehart, a junior doctor in Derbyshire. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Dr. Hamish Reid from New Zealand and Dr. Natasha Jones here in the UK to discuss the latest consensus on the risks of physical activity for people living with long-term health conditions. Okay, so thank you both for joining us today. Could you please kindly introduce yourselves to our listeners and also the new consensus statement you've brought out? Thank you. Um, my name is Natasha Jones. I'm the president-elect of the Faculty of Sport and Exercise Medicine and a consultant in sport and exercise medicine in Oxford. I'm also one of the directors of um, Moving Medicine. Uh, my name is Hamish Reid. I'm uh, also a clinical director of Moving Medicine with Natasha. I'm a consultant in sport and exercise medicine. I live in New Zealand, um, having moved out here recently. And are you happy just to explain a little bit about this consensus you've brought out? Yeah, so thank you for joining this podcast, um, during which we'll be talking about our consensus statement, which is entitled The Benefits Outweigh the Risks, a consensus statement on the risks of physical activity for people living with long-term conditions. And this consensus aimed to agree clear statements for use by healthcare professionals about the medical risks of physical activity through expert consensus. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but before I start, I would like to thank uh, some of the large number of people who've helped us to, to, to develop this work. First of all, thanks to Sport England and Public Health England, or the Office of Health Improvement and Disparities, as they're now known, for instigating it and for their guidance and support throughout. I'd also like to thank the Royal College of Physicians, the Royal College of General Practitioners, the Royal College of Nurses, the Chartered Society of Physiotherapists, the Richmond Group of Charities, the Aust- Australasian College of Sport and Exercise Physicians, and for the British Association of Sport and Exercise Medicine for supporting and endorsing this, this consensus statement. To the authors of it, Hamish, who you, you've met, to Ashley Ridout, um, our amazing specialist trainee who's done so much of the work, to Paul Kelly and Simone Tomas from Edinburgh University who've um, done all, all of the, um, the literature reviews. And then most of all, to the members of our steering group and Delphi panel, who are too numerous to name individually, but whose contributions form the heart of this work. And then finally, to the patient and patients and the healthcare practitioners who've been involved in the preparation phase of the work that Hamish will describe. So over the years, there's been a fair amount of discussion around physical activity and long-term health conditions, which a new consensus statement had looked at and come out with a few positive messages. Are you happy to explain your main findings? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Shona. The um, the first thing to say, I suppose, is that we specifically looked at the risk um, of increasing physical activity in people living with long-term conditions. So it's a particular part of, of uh, the physical activity um, and health condition landscape. Now, we know that people living with long-term conditions have high rates of inactivity and traditionally quite difficult to access in terms of engaging them in initiatives to increase their activity levels. Healthcare probably provides a really key access point for for these people. We know that a large barrier for them is quite often fear of adverse events related to their condition. For instance, when people get diagnosed with a new medical condition, their activity levels drop. And a component of that is is worry and fear that are completely legitimate about their symptoms um, and progression of their condition. As a healthcare system, in, in moving medicine, we, we talk about it really as a, as a legacy of rest, where actually the default advice of our system is generally where there's uncertainty or concern around risk. We advise that people take it easy or, or, avoid, um, or avoid physical activity in general. But a really, really strong and powerful finding that was found throughout 
all the components of this work, both the literature review that we did, the patient groups, and also uh, the expert consensus amongst clinicians, was that the benefits of being physical active, physically active outweigh the risks of, of increasing activity levels. There is a slight increase in risk to people living with long-term conditions and becoming more physically active compared to people without, as you'd expect, but with sensible advice, actually this risk is, is really, really minimal and the long-term benefits for them are, are, are significant. One of the differences between this piece of work and previous is that actually there's a focus on symptoms being the things that we should look, at, look out for and talk to with, with our patients. So this was particularly strong within patient groups and also resonated with clinical groups in terms of how we should be framing messages around risk. Because people generally present with concerns about their breathlessness or pain, these sorts of things, rather than specifically about their condition. Um, this also makes a, a much, much more straightforward conversation around advice on risk. Because when giving advice to people, around their disease, it can get complicated. Um, and people don't necessarily understand their disease as well. But advice focused around symptoms can be very easy for people to understand um, and also to understand what they should be looking out for. The work that we've just done also fits with the recent WHO recommendations, who recommend gradually increasing uh, physical activity to be safe for the vast, vast majority of people and that routine screening um, of people in general and particularly with long-term conditions should be unnecessary. And, and our work really, really supports their suggestion in that recommendation. So new recommendations have been around uh, being fit for participation have arisen from this. What would you advise the listeners to do if a patient is asking if they are fit enough to participate, whether this be a new sport or a sporting event? So I think the first thing I'd say is that this is a real opportunity in your relationship with your patient, because most patients don't get to the point where they come to you with this question and it's up to you to broach the subject. So if a patient does come to you with this question, don't, don't squander the opportunity because it's a really important time. I think the second point is to understand that how important the patient journey to get to this point has been. And not only to understand that journey, but to show your patient that you do. A diagnosis of a long-term condition is a significant event in a person's life. People have gone through a tangible change to their health, sometimes to their job, to their relationships, and to their sense of, of who they are. And sometimes, of course, as a threat to life itself. So getting to the point where they're Asking about physical activity, I think, shows a tremendous resilience and courage. So recognise that journey. Try and take the time to understand it. Use your empathetic listening skills, your affirmations, your reflective listening skills, etc. I think the next thing I'd say is don't forget the perception of risk is high for patients. One of the preparation phases of this work involved a patient and public involvement project when I conducted structured interviews with patients with multimorbidity and multiple symptomatology. What really startled me from that piece of work was the tangible sense of risk that patients feel in this situation. For example, one patient I spoke to with multiple, multiple morbidity said, it's a bit like going parachuting. If you get out there and trust the silk, you might find the most wonderful thing in the world, but it's a big risk to take. I found that observation really startling that just getting active what you and I might consider to be the easiest thing in the world 
to people with long-term conditions, it's a it, 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 it's a leap in the dark. It's a leap off the cliff. The other thing which I found from that piece of work is not only is perceived risk high, but perceived benefit is also high. One woman I spoke to, for example, when asked why she thought being active might be good, said, I want to be me again. I want to feel free again. So these, these, these stakes are really high and therefore these discussions are really important and they're precious. So it's really important to try and find time. And if you can't find time that day, try and think about when you could find time. Try and build motivation through the perceived benefits that your patients come up with and then respond to concerns. And this is where this symptom-based uh, consensus statement might help. The moving medicine resources also take you through these sorts of conversations and give handy tips for framing what you might want to say. For example, other people I've worked with have found this, for example. So I think the, the big headline of this is recognise the journey the patient's going through, respect the courage it's taken to get to this point, assume nothing and try and find time either today or another day to um to give the patient the 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 help that they they're asking for and um, one of the impact statements uh, discussed was it's not as easy as just telling someone simply to move more how would you advise our listeners to motivate patients to increase their physical activity levels i think that follows on really well from from what natasha just said actually because one of the things that we, we, we do in clinical practice is we tell people what to do. Uh, we, we have a traditional consulting style where, where we find out what the problem is, we come up with solutions, and we, and we tell people what those solutions are and to go off and do them. Now, unfortunately, for, for complex behavior change like physical activity behavior change, particularly in the context of concerns around risk, it, it's really not a good system. So telling someone to do something, if we don't understand their values, their contacts, the context of their lifestyle, their previous experience, and all these sorts of things. If we don't, if we don't make an effort to understand that and give people space to share that with us, then it's very unlikely that they're going to do so. And it's also very unlikely that we're going to help make them more likely to change their physical activity behavior in a safe way. So, I mean, an example of this, um, if, if, for instance, you had a, a middle-aged lady who just developed uh, type 2 diabetes uh, or something like that. It, we just started metformin and quite a reasonable thing in clinical practice would be to let her know that actually the data and the evidence around this suggests that if she could become more physically active, because she's not doing very much currently, that might just be walking in small chunks for 10 minutes a day. And if she could do that regularly and gradually build up, then it may well be that she wouldn't even need that medication anymore. And as well as improving uh, diabetes and perhaps getting rid of it, she would also reduce the chances of having other medical problems and improve things in her day-to-day -day life, such as energy and sleep and things like that. So we could tell her that and say, well, actually, one of the things that people find useful is doing that in the morning. You know, So maybe after your breakfast, when you've got lots of energy, go out for a 10-minute walk and start gently like that around the block and then build that up. And that's going to have a, probably a more important impact than your metformin we've just started. And so that's a totally reasonable scenario in clinical practice. But generally what you find if you have a conversation like that is the lady will say, well, yeah, but I can't do that because I've got to take the kids to school or I can't do that because, you know, I've got to go to work or something like that. Or I can't do that because 
I, I, after breakfast, I've got to put my high heels on to 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 go to my important meeting or what, you know whatever it is the barrier to to your suggestion. So by coming with an early plan like that, that's very directed from a clinician, what we've really missed is is her the deeper reasons for her wanting or or feeling concerned about becoming physically physically active. You know, may, maybe someone that she knows had a heart attack if they were walking their dog or something like that. So she she identifies walking with a risk. She knows that she's now got a bigger risk of having a heart attack because of her diabetes or, or something like that. And if we haven't made a space where she can share that risk, then we're never going to be able to help her overcome that risk. So it's a really, really um, Im- important message that we shouldn't just be telling people what to do, but we should understand from a risk point of view what the deeper reasons and understandings and belief are from them. Um, the you know, and as Natasha says, this is something that in moving medicine that we've been trying to work quite hard on. And, and if people do want to find out a bit more about that, then there's hopefully some resources there that can help guide how you can have those conversations. The consensus mentions high perceived risk as being one of the main barriers to increasing physical activity with a known health condition. Which resources in clinical practice would you suggest people use to help manage risk when recommending physical activity? Yeah, um, I mean, I, we've talked a lot about perceived risk, haven't we? And it is a huge barrier, not just for patients, but also for carers, for relatives, for friends, for wider society. And sometimes I'm afraid to say, even from health professionals ourselves. As a matter of fact, navigating other people's perception of your own risk can be one of the most challenging things. I'll never forget, for example, when I was pregnant and um, suddenly, people were finding it appropriate to give me advice about what I should and shouldn't be doing in the gym. Something which never happened before I was pregnant. Patients involved in our our project uh, have talked about this inconsistency of advice, the sort of paternalistic attitude. And some people have even felt that the perception of risk that they felt has been amplified by their healthcare practitioners. And and we've had that back from healthcare practitioners as well, who've repeatedly shared anxieties about risk, particularly in relation to cardiac events, for example, and responsibility for that. So our most important resource in managing risk is, of course, healthcare, with their day-to-day contact with people with long-term conditions, the trust that people have in their healthcare provider. And that's why this statement and other resources like Moving Medicine are so important. This uh, consensus statement will be published or is published on the Moving Medicine website, along with another uh, a, a great number of other great resources to, to, to help support healthcare professionals in this. And then, of course, for less stable and more complex patients, there's, there's a huge level of knowledge and expertise in services like cardiac and respiratory rehabilitation, pain management services, etc., which are often undervalued, but they're vital resources in clinical practice for, for, for more difficult, um, complex patients, for example. And then there's some patient-facing resources. For example, Sport England's Undefeatables campaign is a fantastic start. Working with the Richmond Group of Charities, I think they've done a great job in recognising the courage of people living with long-term conditions and then, and then building on it through their campaign. So I think in summary to that question, the greatest resource we have is, is, is healthcare. And I don't just mean sport and exercise medicine professionals or fitness industry 
or physiotherapists, I mean all healthcare professionals, who have opportunities every day to have these conversations. Um, because, because to make a real impact on this, everybody's need to be talking needs to be talking about it, not just a few. So following on from um, potential risks, who do you think should be the judge of whether or not a patient is safe to exercise? So the question on on judgment's an interesting one because it, it implies we need, if you like, an independent arbiter to de- to decide if someone is is safe to be physically active, and and that's where that's where the question around screening, I guess, comes in of people who turn up to sport and uh, leisure facilities and then get get sent to to see their GPs or primary healthcare practitioners uh, to decide if they are they are fit to be be physically active on a result of their stable hypertension or stable asthma or something like this. And that's, that's warranting, a, you know, this kind of independent arbitration. But, but I think the reality of it is that with good advice, it's really important that patients themselves are empowered to become the decision makers about what is right and what is wrong for them. The advice that we can pull from this process and the evidence around it is relatively straightforward. People with stable symptoms should be in a position to decide if different bits of physical activity are safe for them. If, if their symptoms aren't stable, then it's appropriate that they're investigated and, and their treatment medically managed to, to, to find a position of stability. We talk about gradually increasing activity, and that's a really strong theme through, through all the evidence published in this area, that gradually increasing activity is, a, is, a, is, is the safest way that people can in, increase their activity to get to where they want to be but one of the one of the things that's easy to miss in this is is a start point so when people are thinking about becoming more physically active they often reference a time in their lives when they were more physically active so for instance they maybe used to run or or walk frequently or swim a lot or something like that and so they'll see that as as if you like being active but it may be that they've done very little on it partly as a result of their long-term condition for the last two years so that transition between what they're doing now and what they're thinking about doing next, if you like, that first step is probably one of the big risk areas. And so being clear about actually where we need to start this gradual process is what you're doing last week, the week before that, or the week before that. If we can get a bit of an average of where you are at the moment and build from there, then, then that's a safe place to be. So, so simple things like this, if we can empower our patients with this kind of knowledge, then they really I believe should should be should be holding the judgment on whether they should be doing things or not. And on a symptomatic basis, if there are concerns around their symptoms and they feel they are no longer stable in their symptoms, or doing some sort of activity gives them new symptoms that they can't control, then that's an appropriate time to talk to the healthcare professionals. Whereas Natasha says, you know, they they they're the people that really understand what's going on, and and they don't need any new different skills to to manage someone who's trying to increase their activity, who's got new unstable symptoms. They've got a, they've got a huge amount of skills to manage those scenarios and just, just play them as they would um, in any other circumstance. What are, our, what are the potential ramifications of this statement in the broader system and in particular in the physical activity sector? And how will this work be developed? So this is an opportunity to address the value of pre-participation screening questionnaires and the whole question of medical clearance before embarking on physical activity or moving more, as I prefer to call it. Both the WHO and now this expert consensus agree that medical clearance before activity for people with long-term conditions is not necessary. 
That's not to say there isn't a role for medical professionals, as I've already said, but that role should focus on guidance and the need for that guidance should be determined by individuals and all their carers who are living with long-term conditions, who are concerned about the potential impact physical activity might have on their symptomatology, rather than by arbitrary thresholds that have been preset and are often in, 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 inappropriate. I think, um, I think there is a risk that if the medical profession stop recognising participation questionnaires, that the perceived burden of responsibility will shift to the physical activity sector. I think we need to recognise that risk because it's a it, it, it could challenge the care that we already have. But we need to work with the physical activity sector to understand how risk and responsibility are understood between both sectors. We must keep in mind the headline that the biggest risk of all for our patients is inactivity. With that as the primary risk, we could begin a new conversation about how best to support patients as they travel between health and physical activity sectors. If the strategic aim is that people with long-term conditions understand their own risk in the context of their symptoms and their physical activity level, and then go on to drive their own journey towards a more active lifestyle, then we think both the health sector and the physical activity sector could work together to help people achieve that. So I'm going to say thank you both for joining us today. Um, you've both, both given our listeners some great new advice around physical activity and long-term health conditions. So for myself and BGSM, we hope you all have a good day. <laughs> <laughs>